Welcome to the Conduit Deeper podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, Executive Pastor, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, as we continue through our Belief Series and specifically continue through John chapter 10, kind of the back half, where the previous week was really focused more on the sheep and the shepherding. This week, a little more focus on the wolves. Yeah. Like, what are the shepherds protecting us from? What's the shepherd the shepherd protecting us from? Yeah. Now, yeah. you... you told a couple stories about some foxes. Yeah. Hey, before we do that, there's rumors going around the church, and I need to confirm. Is there really a bingo card floating around <laughs> with Darrenisms on it that if if I say them all, like you get bingo? Like is someone going to be shouting bingo at some point during a service? So, yeah, before we do get into the wolves and the foxes and all of the things of John chapter 10. There's a there's a contingency of of conduit friends and family and staff that are working on a Darren bingo card. <laughs> right? And so we've So this is not this is actually happening. There's not this isn't like a rumor or gossip. This is I mean founded uh, in some sort of fact or is this like a, a I'm, I'm as, sorry you're finding out this way an aspirational goal or actually No, there's actually a list that's being compiled. Oh lord. I mean it's a, it's it's a list that is that is being curated, carefully curated of you know phrases, sayings, mottos that you are known to say or have said on a frequent basis. Is it like the grandpa telling the same joke at the cash register over and over again? There is for sure an element of that. Oh, yes. That's, that's my, I'm turning into my grandfather. <laughs> yeah. So there's certain words, certain phrases, certain jokes that if all aligned on the same Sunday service, someone shouts bingo from the crowd. From their bingo card. Will win a cash prize of some sort. We're still working on the details of the game. <laughs> Should be cash prizes. <laughs> but but we feel fairly confident that through the duration of at least one service. Well, that was one of the questions. Is this all three or is it like no. one 40-minute sermon you have to get bingo? Well, yes. Within a 35 to 40-minute, <laughs> we're trying to get that down to 35, if I'm being honest. Said by the guy that controls the <laughs> clock in the parking lot. Yeah, I mean, because... This is not, it's not like a, I mean, it's not out of disrespect or anything. It's just you, you have phrase, you have things that you say that make you, you, the year, the, the individual of Darren, like the lore of Darren Tyler. And that has been recognized by many of us. And we want to honor that through what, a game. What are, uh, what are examples? So, like, fascinating would obviously be. Yeah. So, so I mean, that's like low hanging fruit, right? Like the yeah. the the amount of times that you will, yeah, like reflexively, like just out of just I know, reflex, and I just safe. And that's fascinating. Consciously trying not to, and it just comes out of me like air. And there's certain jokes that you kind of lean on, or phrases that you that you you go like to. Bet my left arm. Exactly. See, you already know this intuitively because yeah. it's these are your sayings. <laughs> Um, so you would be disqualified from said game, yeah. but 
the goal is once we kind of have this together, then we're going to kind of move down the line a little bit. Like there's already a beginning one for things that I say and do. We've put together actually a pretty, pretty good one for Jason, to be honest. Uh, things that he says all <laughs> this Sunday during worship. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Like, this is fun. This is all in good fun. One of my favorite Jasons was the Big Ask God. See, that came up in this uh, initial meeting that we had. Yeah. Somebody made a remix of the Big Ask God. Uh, uh, it's it, out there. It's out there. It's a it was, song. It was actually pretty good, if I recall. Like, it was actually it was pretty good. So, yeah. Uh, Mr. Micah uh, DJed that uh, little remix together that, yeah, I mean, Jason, one Sunday, I mean, we were just moving in the spirit and, like, there's no question too big for god it it came out you know the the god he's he's a big ask god and jason said that like didn't he's, even hesitate no, he sang it he sang it and with some uh, passion some and vigor and meaning you know we were like wait what 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 did he just <laughs> say what are you singing <laughs> so that's enunciate what, so your sc- right <laughs> yeah like make sure the k is pronounced in ask so what's on the mo card i mean it's it's a lot of dad jokes, right? Because I'm that's now that I've been, dare I say, elevated to grandpa status. I think you can. Um, the dad grandpa jokes, like it's just natural. They naturally flow now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's basically all I think about. Is, right, is just the dad jokes. So there's some of those. Um, I don't know. I have my I have my quirks too, uh-huh. right? I mean, we're all aware of them. <laughs> And so, but can a can a sigh go on the card? A sigh, yeah. Is an it exhale? Just exhale like the sigh, like oh. an exhale is definitely on the list. Probably the word no or not yet. <laughs> it's I on didn't the list. Say, I didn't want to say it. Well, I mean, it's your job. It's awareness. Yeah, it's your I mean, job. You know, it's been said too. Like, so this little video went around this week of us surveying the storm that was coming through. Because we got some crazy winds. I don't know what it looked like in your neighborhood when you got home that day. It was a mess. It looked like a war zone in my neighborhood because we have a bunch old of trees, old yeah. mature trees and big yards. But, I mean, it was bad. Thankfully, no no heavy damage in our in our yard. But but we were here at the church when that was coming through. And, uh, you know, it was kind of, it was loud. I mean, we have, we're in a metal building. Yep. So it was like humming and rattling. And you are still just like a giddy school child staring out the window, excited to see what could happen next. <laughs> and it was exciting out there. It was very exciting. Things were flying around. Yeah, I mean, things are literally flying through the air. And you're like, oh, look, look at that. Did you just see that? I'm like, why are you standing next to the window? And I was perched under my desk. Prepared, not scared. <laughs> like actually literally sitting under the desk. <laughs> Prepared, not scared. That should be on your sign on your door. I am prepared, not scared, bro. And so this just—I mean, this is the roles we play. I mean, this yeah. is this is what we're called to do. Okay, so there's the, multiple bingo cards. That's all I needed to know. Yeah, but, but we got to start somewhere. So being isolated or you know mocked. No, no, there's of definitely never would it could it never be that. There's no mocking. The thing about working with a bunch of 25 year olds is their willingness to roast us. <laughs> They're not even kind of scared of me or you. They're not even kind of. They won't even do it behind our backs. Yeah, right. They don't wait till I turn around and then roast me. They like, roast me to my face 
And and then the problem is, is it's really funny. So it's like, ah, oh, it's really true. Like I can't really get he keeps us humble, keeps us yeah. focused. Yeah. And uh, there's a, there's a sense of there's a high level of self awareness in this building. Shall oh, we golly, say? Yeah. So so as we shepherd these shepherd people, these people. <laughs> these are shepherds, man. Oh, there's some wolves that are flying around here too. No, not on our staff. They're all great. Um, but yeah, wolves. That's a, that's a problem when you're trying to raise sheep. Or in this area, in this part of town, this part of the country, it's coyotes and foxes. Yeah. Now we had some foxes take uh, take up home in um, in the neighbor's house next door under their shed. Oh, really? Last spring, and it was the most adorable thing I've oh, ever seen in my cute. life. Yeah, yeah. Little kits. They're called kits. Yeah, I mean that. Little baby kits. Okay. Yeah. There's puppies, but yeah, there are four of them. Um, it, 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 it was like something out of like a little Disney movie, just prancing around the yard and they were having fun. It was hilarious. I'm like, how could anybody hate these things? Yeah. They're beautiful. Yeah. Every farmer, if you've got chickens, every farmer hates them. The whole thing is like, you know, smart as a fox. Yeah. They're devious little creatures. Little, but they're just devious. Now I did learn something and I'm trying to get this right. So the difference between coyotes... And foxes, one is a canine and one is a feline. And I can't remember which is which. Fox is the feline, which is why they call them kits. Okay, there we go. Yeah, they're like, which is probably why I hate them so much, because they're basically dog cats. <laughs> right, I mean, it's, they're pretty indistinguishable. Yeah, they're just like a dog, they're a cat shaped like a dog. And then the coyotes, obviously, I can't be that far removed from a fox. They, well, they're canine, so it's different, right. technically a split in the tree. Yeah, with them, but but coyotes. I mean, they hunt to kill. They kill to eat. Foxes killed for sport, man. They'll just brutal. Literally, will raid a chicken coop and just like Jack the Ripper, man. Like Ted Dahmer. It's bad. Eat, you know, just take a bite out of one, bite the neck off the other one, leave them bleeding. I know I mentioned it last time, but I'm telling you this this uh, Clarkson's farm show on Amazon Prime. <laughs> they have a whole episode where he's dealing with these foxes with tearing foxes up his, there. Hen, his hen house. Oh, see, he knows, man. Yeah, the, the, the reason why like uh, rich people in England hunt foxes is they actually are, they are genuinely a nuisance with it. So I, but, but the thing is that I think they had, well, they did have foxes in, in Israel, but in ancient Israel, when much of the scriptures were written, they actually not only had wolves, they had lions, uh, leopards, Wolves, most of those are extinct now in that part of the world. Though we saw, and I look, I'm redneck. I know the difference between a mountain lion and a bobcat. Okay. And we saw two. Well, I saw both of them. Everybody else saw one because they, they started to run off. Mountain lions right at Caesarea Philippi. No it's way. Crazy, bro. I'm looking up and I'm thinking, oh, that's a weird place for a goat. That, those aren't, go and I'm really trying to get the words out to point. Those are not goats. And our guide was like, she didn't see them. Fortunately, my wife, Jim Cook, Dave Wagner, like several people saw them. Are they skittish or aggressive? Will they approach? No, they're, they're skittish unless they're hungry and hunting. But they, yeah, they were like, they were as surprised as we were to see them. Like they took off running the other direction. It was kind of like, oh, you bounded down the hill. Oh, people. And so, you know, ran the other way. But, you know, our guide was like, it's impossible. We don't have mountain lions here. I'm like, well, you do now because... That's not, they weren't lion lions. They weren't bobcats. 
there were no stripes or spots, so they're not leopards, and they were almost white. So they are, uh, the point being, the shepherds that Jesus speaks of, the shepherds that David was, were not little uh, mousy, you know, theologians. They were like warriors that killed predators because predators, uh, they're coming for your sheep eventually, especially because you're living in the desert. The, the, you know, sheep are easy prey in a desert when you're feeding them, just out in the open. Well, what you brought to the table was very interesting, some historical background of wolves and sheep as it pertains to oh, know, yeah. the Israelites. The historical lens of that. Yeah, I mean, I did not know about Romulus and his brother. Remus. Remus. It's like Remus and Butthead. Remember that show? <laughs> <laughs> Remus and Redhead. It was amazing. <laughs> oh, man. We're already off the rails. Romulus and Remus um, and the the lore of being raised by Mama Wolf. Mm-hmm. I hadn't heard of that. And I didn't realize that that Romulus, you know, the short version of that is Rome. Yeah, and the, Rome. the city was founded upon this this legend, this lore of of Romulus. Yeah, yeah. So the 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 mythology behind it is that Mars, the god Mars, uh, had relations with, and I cannot remember her name, but she had twins. The twins are abandoned in the woods. And a wolf raises the twins, Romulus and Remus. And as they grow older, Remus wants to set up foundation for whatever empire, and it's like east of of where Rome is. Um, Romulus wants to set up the empire in the the seven hills, the seven mountains. Uh, And he wins. He ends up killing Remus. This is the story. And then Rome is founded in the, the seven hills of where Rome is modern day. And if you've been to Rome... You'll see the statues of uh, of a wolf with two twins uh, suckling at her teats. Can we say that? Is that technically? Should, yeah, I'm I mean, using it's technical. Yes. I am using language that is uh, that is sound here. Like these are not like you're you're fine. Pejoratives, okay. I mean, suckling. Was, let's just <laughs> let's just stick with suckling. I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. That's what they're doing. The, the Google it. Google Romulus Wolf Twins, and you, you can't unsee it. But these are statues that are all over Rome. That probably will not be on the bingo card, but we understand. What. Suckling at teats. <laughs> that would be like a bonus round. I've never said that in my life. To be honest, I don't think I've ever said that in my life out loud. That's Yeah, but that's that's the, the imagery here, and... It's very uncomfortable. Yeah, and the, the, the comparison Jesus was making, though, is that the... The Israelites were in the midst of a Roman empire being ruled by the Romans, being ruled by the wolves, and yeah. they were out to get them. Yeah, the imagery is uh, very intentional. And and I had I had never known that. Like I learned something brand new that I've read a hundred times in that passage, and just the his, the history of that mm-hmm. gives so much more perspective and so much more meaning to this particular passage, or. or Actually, any parable that Jesus uses mm-hmm. about the sheeps and the wolves makes way more sense understanding the culture of the time. Yeah. And you see it in the, the, the consistency, like specifically like in pagan culture. So that's from pagan culture. Yeah. When Adolf Hitler decides to build a bunker on the eastern front of the war, 
the most famous, of which I, I want to say he spent 800 days here. Wish we could Google that. that. I feel like it was 800. It was an exorbitant amount of World War II was him spent hiding in what he called the wolf slayer. Yeah. And very much intentionally. I mean, if you remember, he brought Pergamus into the statue of Pergamus. He was attempting to rebuild the Roman Empire. That's he, right. This was way deeper, way more demonic. And so he calls his bunker where Operation Valkyrie uh, took place. Those things, that was all in the Wolf Slayer in eastern Poland. Yeah, yeah, right. Is it on the border? Is it in Poland or was it mm -hmm. on the border? Present day Poland. Okay. It was, it was on the eastern front of the war. East where, Prussia. Just close enough, but not close enough where uh, where Stalin's people could get him, but close enough where he could be near the front of the war and where he supposedly uh, died. Supposedly. Supposedly died. I mean, that, you know. In the Wolf Slayer. But when Jesus used the language of wolves, um, he, he did. He would use it in reference to false prophets. He would use it in in reference to persecution. Um, but very specifically, like I think specifically when you're looking at like Luke ten, going, I'm sending you out in lambs in the midst of wolves. Uh, that there was an empire empirical kind of language around that. That you are like you know the United States. We have the eagle. That's our national. So it almost be like him saying, "I'm sending you out as chickens in the midst of eagles." Mm -hmm. You know, like you, it, it, meaning the United States uh, and, and that government. Uh, and he told him to be wise as serpents. Right, verse two. So Luke ten three. I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Verse two, right before that, be wise as serpents, Interesting. harmless as doves. Um, the idea, of, you know, the, the the great serpent. So we need to know Satan's strategy when we're going out amongst the wolves. Um, but harmless as doves, meaning that we are full of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is what is leading us. Uh, the, the good shepherd is what is leading us. Yeah. And so that, that was the cultural reference there, which was really, really helpful in this passage. But anytime we're, we're reading through scripture, we're going through these studies. We're trying to find how this can inform us today. How, what is the practical takeaway now? And one of those is that we would identify that we could identify the wolves amongst us. Yeah. Current day. So, okay, when you go back to Ezekiel, this is something I didn't get to get in on Sunday, was the differentiation between the false prophet wolves and the, uh, I guess, let's just say government cultural wolves. Okay, yeah. okay. So when you go back to Ezekiel uh, 22, which I did, I did share that scripture. He's talking about the, the conspiracy of her prophets. Now, speaking to Jerusalem, uh, just a quick reminder. Jerusalem is in captivity. Nebuchadnezzar had taken them in. This is maybe five to ten years into the captivity. Uh, the Babylonians did not conquer in the way that um, they conquered like the Romans. So they didn't conquer like the Assyrians, which was by seduction, not by destruction. Assyrians would come in. I mean, they would rape and pillage and destroy and just level a city. Rome would, uh, and Babylon especially, would, would say, we're going to bring you into our culture, lure you in and conquer by seduction. And so they've got tens of thousands of Jews are now living in Babylon. But Ezekiel at this time is writing, and he's writing, I believe it's King Jehoiakim, who is still the quote-unquote king of Jerusalem, but he is just a puppet regime who is in bed with the Babylonian government. And so it's he's not writing this passage to Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. He's writing this to the king who is still in Jerusalem. And he says, the verse 25, the conspiracy, which is... Great, Popular word. Great word to open with of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They've devoured human lives. They've taken treasure and precious things. 
made widows in her midst. And talks to this now, her priests. So uh, the, the, thinking prophets, priests, okay, the, the, those are the theological side of things. Done violence to my law, profaned my holy things. They've made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the unclean. Uh, disregarded my Sabbaths. In other words, they're rewriting the law. They're rewriting scripture. They're saying this is, you know, there's no right, no wrong, no good, no bad. And so so a wolf, yes, is Roman government. There's that idea of the wolves of, you know, of our own like cultural narrative. But there's also inside of the church. Like when Paul said in Acts chapter seven, hey, I'm sending you out. I'm leaving here, uh, 20, Acts 20. I'm leaving, but... Wolves are even from your own midst. Wolves will arise, and I mentioned Richard Rohr in that. Yeah. So when we talk, and that's one thing I, I said I, I got to talk about this on the deeper podcast. Um, I, I don't want to take for granted that everybody knows who he is. He's a Fran- Franciscan priest that quickly over the last, I say quickly, quickly over the last twenty years. He was like, mercy me. He was like an over a 10 year overnight success. Like they were out there for 10 years and then suddenly everybody knows who they are. Roar's been out there forever. Um, American born. I mean, he's from Albuquerque. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Franciscan. He's from Albuquerque, like yeah. Walter White, you know, <laughs> um, but he quickly took on like, oh, what's the word? Like as a theologian, mm-hmm. people are. Quoting him. In fact, if you start hearing him quoted a lot, you probably should be really wondering, okay, what's my pastor reading if, my, if he's quoting a lot of Richard Rohr? Uh, and he writes things that sound, uh, how do I say, like it's almost like a, like a Ron Paul political speech from like 20 years ago. 90% of you are like, man, that's great. That's awesome. That's amazing. And then that last 10% is so crazy that you can't, I can't go there, right? And that's Roar. And so what I, here's what I wanted to say about Roar and what makes him a her, like just heresy, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Uh, first is his view of the Bible. And I want to read what he says. Uh, the Jewish scriptures, which are full of anecdotes of destiny, failure, sin, and grace, offer almost no self-evident philosophical or theological conclusions that are always true. We have... Four often conflicting versions of the life of Jesus in Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. There is no one clear theology of God, Jesus, or history presented, despite our attempt to pretend there is. So if you're following Roar, and you believe that Jesus died for your sins, for instance, he very clearly has said multiple times, Jesus did not die for your sins. He, he does not believe that the Bible is God's word, that there's multiple interpretations, and so we have multiple ways to the Father. Uh, he says this about the death on the cross. I believe that Jesus' death on the cross is a revelation of the infinite and the participatory love of God, which sounds beautiful, not some bloody payment required by God's offended justice to rectify the problem of sin. Such a storyline is way too small and problem-oriented. Jeez. Like, that undermines the totality of the gospel and the only way that you can get to that conclusion is if you start with the conclusion that the bible is full of contradictions and we can't trust it so when you you know how did you come to that conclusion it starts with well the bible is not accurate and can't be trusted and then it goes into uh the atonement his idea of the resurrection but the thing that i was going to read on sunday was a quote that he had about uh we are all our own saviors Mm mm-hmm 
and I think it's right here. So here's what he here's what he says. Um, this is from his book. Oh man, I think it's from Everything Belongs. But this is a direct quote. This is the fully resurrected life, the only way to be happy and free, and therefore, quote, saved. In effect, Jesus was saying, if I can trust it, you can too. In other words, he's talking about suffering. If we are suffering, that is what is saving us. If I can trust it, you can too. We are indeed saved by the cross, but more than we realize, the people who hold the, the contradictions and resolve them in themselves are, listen, this is it. Those who hold the contradictions and resolve them in themselves, you are the saviors of the world. The only real agents of transformation, reconciliation, and newness. His statement is that it's our suffering that saves us. Jesus is saying it is my suffering that saves us. Yeah. I lay down my life for the sheep. I, you know, Revelation 5, the uh, paid for with the blood of the lamb. Like the, You have to literally cast away 80% of what Jesus said to get to these kinds of conclusions. So when I mention Richard Rohr, I, I say his name without hesitation. I, I mean, I believe that lots of pastors, we have different opinions or theologians have a different opinion about something, but he's not a different opinion about something. He is literally communicating an entirely different gospel than what Jesus said. What does the Catholic Church say about him? Do they still recognize him as a... That's a good question. I don't know. As a priest? I don't... I think they do. Mm. That's a good question. Yeah, I'm just curious because he's moved the needle so far, how he's being received amongst his peers, mm -hmm. his uh, Catholic peers. Well, the one thing the Catholics have proven is you got to do quite a bit to get kicked out of that show. Like, there's, <laughs> you, you can get away with a lot yeah, before. Sure seems like it. What, what do you think is so appealing about what he is saying that has uh, fueled his popularity over the past decade? I, I think. Well, that's a really good question, too. Early on, when I first, uh, a friend of mine and a pastor who was really helpful, honestly responsible for me starting this church, so it's a very weird relationship. He liked the the artisticness of it, the 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 beauty, the, you know, everybody belongs. It's it's this thing that on paper sounds really good. Um, but when you think about it, like the, like that idea that, you know, uh, if we can just hold the contradictions and resolve them, well, we are the saviors of the world. It sounds pretty good on paper. And then you realize, no, no, he's just saying I got to be saved by works again. Like I'm literally another yeah. form of my works is what the only thing that's going to save me. And that's actually not good news at all. That's first of all, that's the news of the Hindus. That's the news of the Buddhists, right? It's the news, it's the news of Islam. And it's all bad news if it's about me saving myself, but I've heard him say openly in interviews that he uses words like redemption um, or atonement that we believe, you know, we, we use those words, but he says, I, I use them specifically, but I mean something different when I say them because I'm trying to, in his words, try to redeem these words, which is another way of saying I'm using a word on purpose, but I mean something different. That's actually called deception. Like that's what, the, that's another word for that is I'm deceiving you. But in his mind, it's justified because he's redeeming these words. And, and you know, again, one more guy that suddenly 2,000 years of Orthodox Christianity and he has suddenly found something new um, in, inside of it. But um, I, I don't yeah. know. That's a good question. Because you know, on the surface, you read it. I, the first time I read Everything Belongs, which was given to me by this pastor, 
And he was just talking about, man, this book just blew me away. It was like, it's just so profound. And, and I read it thinking, I don't get this. Like, it doesn't, you know, it's like, I've joked, but it sounds like a Goo Goo Doll song. Like, the, the, it's beautiful lyrics, <laughs> but it doesn't mean anything. Like, you know, it doesn't yeah. mean anything. It's a, it's a slippery slope, right? Like, he's been on the kind of the front end of what we would term progressive Christianity. Mm-hmm. So he has been like um, a lead sled dog in the Christian progressive movement. Yeah. Pulling a bunch of folks with him down this slippery slope of redefining things, including mm-hmm. the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever whenever I'm listening to a, a pastor or teacher, when it, one of the things I listen for is who are they reading? Who are they quoting? In other words, who are they downstream from? Because that's who's informing their theology. So, you know, you'll hear me quote Chuck Smith or John Corson or sometimes John MacArthur, even though I know he thinks, you know, guys like us are heretics because we speak in tongues or something. But anyway, um, he uh, – th- those are the people that I'm downstream from. But if, you, if you're downstream from from somebody like – from Roar, you know, maybe you're not uh, buying into everything he's saying right now. But there's at least some stuff that's that's leaking into you. That's then leaking out into the the culture, and and to define progressive Christianity is really it's this complex word, but it really is very simple, and that is that we have made progress that the Bible uh, was the best they understood at the time, but now we know more, and God speaks to us through culture, He speaks to us through our hearts, He speaks to us through each other, He speaks to us through history, and He speaks to us through His Word. Those five things. Now, if three of those five things or two of those five things disagree, then maybe there's some questioning. If three of the five things, then, and let's say it's culture, history, and uh, your heart that tells you this, that overrules the Bible. Like, that's the simplicity of, of, uh, of progressive Christianity, is that it's, it is the Bible was the best they had, and now we know more. So it's the only way logically that they could get to uh, some of the opinions on sexuality, on yeah, gender, no is you have to, and you can honestly, you can feel the, the slide when it's happening with someone. I've, I've heard it multiple times from pastors in Kansas City, here in Tulsa, or I mean, here, here in Nashville, pastors in Tulsa. They start with usually the, well, the Bible really doesn't have anything to say about homosexuality. And that's generally where they start, which is patently false and at best disingenuous and at worst blindly ignorant. But eventually, if they're intellectually honest, they have to. And this happened with Stan Mitchell. Um, It's happened with Rob Bell over the years. Like they move from that position to the intellectually honest position, which is the Bible is wrong. If you're going to say that sexuality is not between a naturally born male and a naturally born female, the only intellectually honest way is to say that the Bible is wrong. And that's what Richard Rohr is saying, that the Bible, it's nice. So is Ayn Rand, and so is the Iliad. But, you know, that's the best they had, and now we know. We would say, from a conservative standpoint, is that this is an ancient book. Yes, but we are an ancient people. So the maybe we don't have a shepherd metaphor, but it speaks of the exact need because the human heart has not evolved. We have our technology has grown, but our human hearts are the same dark hearts from Genesis one as they are to 2023. Is there a sense of universalism here too? Like, mm, yeah. I mean, what's the, yeah, everybody's going to be saved. That's the, everything belongs. That's literally what he means. Okay. Yeah. I mean, as this plays out, 
it seems like that's that's where it goes. And there's a lot of new ageism that mm-hmm. that is sprinkled in here too, right? Self. Yeah, I mean his his newest book speaks of Christ consciousness. He separates Jesus from Messiah. That Jesus was his earthly uh, appearance of him, but Messiah is different. And Messiah is this eternal thing, this other thing. That Messiah is so... Uh, like an idea to aspire to? Yeah. Together? If we all come together it's, in unity? It's Hinduism, man. It's yeah. like Christ consciousness. If we achieve this consciousness that I'm Christ and, and you're Christ and Caleb's Christ and we're all Christ and... Uh, and that's quotes from him, by the way. Like that's from his writings. So, does he believe in sin nature? That we have a sin nature? No, he believes that we were born naturally good. Oh, come on! And that we are. Uh, and I think that's in his latest. I've, that's been several. He's ri- the good news about him is he's written so much. You don't have to look very far <laughs> to find it. It's just it's it was hidden in plain sight. Yeah. Um, He'll talk, it's like, again, it's like a Ron Paul political speech. Like, it's like 90 minutes of like, wow, that's really good. And then that last minute, we're like, wait, what? Mm. What? Jesus didn't die for my sins? What? You know? Because mm. he even says here that the cross saves you. Like, they, he says that. But here's what he means by that is the cross is this metaphor oh, wow. of suffering. And whether there was a literal resurrection or not, you know, he says he's orthodox, but he's not. That's not orthodox. Like, the disciples, those 11 disciples that saw Jesus resurrected and were later martyred. Because they're like all they had to do was say, "Okay, I'm, I was just lying. I didn't see him. It wasn't him." Those eleven disciples saw a literal resurrected Jesus and literally gave their lives and were absolutely tortured to death because they saw something quite literal, not figurative. So yeah, Richard has a a massive influence on on Christianity as a whole in the background. Um. There's a there's a whole sect, a large sect of of our Christian family that is being influenced by his books. There's no doubt about that. Um, and so when we we're talking about, you know, the wolves amongst us, mm-hmm. uh, that is that is not a, that that is not a far fetched assumption. No, it's not because that's what Paul said. They'll come from your own midst. They will distort the truth. This is Acts chapter 20. And they will distorting the truth. And that's, you know, I'm very comfortable using his name very clearly. His book, The Universal Christ, is distorting the truth. And it's blasphemous because it's the very, the very reason. It's like, here's Jesus said why he came to be a ransom, Mark. You know, the book of Mark, I think it's Mark 7. To, or Mark, yeah, I think it's Mark 7. To be a ransom, to pay for the... In Revelation 5, that his blood paid for the, like, there is a atonement nature that he is saying, and then he misrepresents, so distorting the truth, is, oh, there's just some God that's just mean, and, you know, so he has to kill his own son. Like, it's this dismissive words of not what I say, but what have Jesus said, the idea that God killed him even. Jesus says, no, no, I laid down my own life. I did this willingly. I picked it back up again. It's completely a distortion and an insult and spitting on the Christ of the Bible, the Jesus on the cross, to try to, you know, some modern narrative that fits into a more of a Western. You you don't find people in Africa believe in this crap. Like this isn't, (laughs) there's nobody in the church in Nepal where I'll be next week that believes this stuff yeah um 
this is a very Western, very, I, let me phrase that, Western combined with Eastern, meaning that there is a Christ consciousness, the universal Christ, which was his latest book, and mm -hmm. I think it might have been his last one. Yeah. Uh, w the universal Christ was him just saying, you know what, this is what I've been saying the whole time, but I want to just make sure I say it really clear because it might be the last book I ever write. He's 80 years old now. Yeah, so he just lets it all out at this point. He's not trying to hide anymore. He's just saying everything he's been thinking the whole time. Yeah, so, I mean, depending on maybe who you're listening to on podcasts or books you're reading or blogs that you're reading or pastors that you follow, it would be, you know, worth maybe trying to dive in and see if if they are reading some of Richard Rohr's books or being informed by some of his teachings. Mm -hmm. um, that, that would be an, an interesting little homework to do. Um, yeah, but obviously, so that's the theological, right? That's the priest's version of it, the, the false prophet's. And then there's the sending out as lambs amongst wolves, which is the more cultural. Uh, yeah, the cultural wolves. The cultural wolves, the the government wolves. And that and, list is long right oh, now. Oh man, was that lot, so, that was a lot of fun for me? Yeah, I mean you you laid it out. You well, just laid it out. Well, so Ezekiel twenty two again, back to twenty two, verse twenty seven. Her princes, and that word there, princes, is like government officials, but also like the leaders, like the you know, like the Klaus Schwabs. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey, shedding blood, and destroying lives. Listen, destroying lives to get dishonest gain and mm. just jumped off the page. Yeah. And I had just seen the the Forbes billionaire list release, which I I don't know. I, I You kind of look at it and think, oh, that's funny. You know, you got two of them that were, they were divorced, but they were so rich. They both made it to the list now, you know, like that. But I read it differently this year when I realized... First of all, Elon Musk, who was number one on this list, um, I need to figure out. So this was uh, wealth gain in 2020. Okay, so this is mid-pandemic since since January first, 2020. Yeah. Um, I think this number has gone down for Elon Musk because he has of anybody on this list of Jeff Bezos, Larry Page, Sergey Brin. Daniel Gilbert, Zuckerberg, Ellison, um, almost as far as I know, everybody on this list bought into the narrative and, and you know, carried on the narrative. One of them went against the narrative and immediately, you know, in fact, buying Twitter, you know, being crucified by the media because he's crazy and he's a conservative, which he is nothing. Christians, you know, believe me, he is not one of us. He is an ally in many causes, but he is not one of us. Right. Um, he, you know, I don't, I don't think he's Antichrist. He, I mean, I wouldn't think the Antichrist would be hilarious, but maybe, I don't know. It's possible. <laughs> I didn't think about that. I just think he's more libertarian in his ideals. Yeah. And because he's not from America, I don't think he even knows what a libertarian versus a liberal yeah. versus, I think he's figuring, oh, maybe I am a libertarian. But point being, his value is the one that's been going down because he's actually been attacking the narrative. Now, the guy that's created electric cars, which is supposed to save the world because he didn't carry the narrative of much of the rest of the government stuff. Yeah, his his wealth has has fallen significantly. Still rich, yeah. Not 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 you know not in trouble. But the rest of these guys on this were very much guys that were using dishonest gain. You know, destroying lives to get dishonest gain. Yeah. So obviously, this is a topic we've covered several times, and it just continues to get deeper and deeper. Hence the name of this podcast. But. The amount of players behind the scenes whose 
who maybe people didn't realize were involved in such decision making. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe names that we mentioned three years ago. Um, it's all kind of played out as maybe we suspected, right? Yeah. And it's, and it's getting worse. Um, so, <laughs> and, and I guess that the thing, you know, so why do we talk about it? Yeah. You know, why do we mention it? It's my wife, bless her heart. She's, she, she doesn't watch the news, which I love about her. Thank goodness. Yeah. But she, uh, on the drive home, I think it was Sunday night. Yeah. It was good. We rode together. She said uh, something along the lines. I feel bad cause I really don't watch the news. So I really don't know. It's a lot of times, you know, so I really appreciate when you say this stuff cause I didn't know. Sure. But I was like, you know, babe, the, the truth is, is you wouldn't have known. And so first of all, thank God you don't watch the news. Whatever you even quote the news isn't anymore. That's right. But you wouldn't know this no. stuff because they're not, they're literally not talking about this. No, you have to do your own work, your own actual research, your own homework yeah. on all of these guys, connect dots on our own. Yeah. Because um, when you think about it from a perspective of the journalism, the journalists of our youth, of my youth, I should say, because you're... <laughs> 10 years younger than me, but even of my parents' generation, they're long gone. Mm -hmm. The Watergate that we, we're here to hold power, uh, accountability, you know, to the powerful, it, their business model is so dependent on ad dollars and ad dollars are dependent on faces and ears listening to them. And if the two largest funders of your money now, your ad dollars, are big pharma and politicians. When we go through a political year and you just see all those ads that are just constantly flying at you on CNN and Fox, and that's money and lots of it. So the two greatest areas that needed to be held accountable in the last two years are the ones writing the biggest checks to the networks. And if we don't think that Jeff Zucker, while he was head of CNN, didn't know that and wasn't actively considering that when making decisions. Now, is it, is it subconscious? I mean, is he, you know, like Scrooge McDuck, you know, wringing his hands in the back going, oh, I've got them again. I, I, I honestly think it's a blind bias, which the truth is, is whether it's intentional or unintentional, it doesn't necessarily matter because the results are the same, which is CNN brought to you by Pfizer. Of which Pfizer spent $2.8 billion, with a B, $2.8 billion in advertising in 22 alone. Just one year. One year of advertising, $2.8 billion, which was up, yeah. which was up $800 million from the year before. Oh, I didn't even a know drug that. company. I, I didn't even know that. Like, it makes me so angry. And they're spending it on network television. That's I right. mean, think about when you're watching Hulu. Like, you're you're vacillating in between erectile dif dysfunction to, mm -hmm. you know, humera, rheumatoid inflammation. Pay attention. And to, I mean, literally, I was listening to NPR. I'm sorry, I, I did it again. I, I don't know why I do this to myself. Like, it happened again. Either. I'm like, let me see if just in case. And there's a, you know, hey, brought to you by, and it was like this foundation for Native Americans uh, encouraging children to get vaccinated as a, because COVID-19 is harmful to youth and Native American populations. Get your children vaccinated on NPR. 
So money that is, so that's a nonprofit, by the way, and I looked at it, and the nonprofit that's sponsoring the nonprofit was sponsored by Pfizer. Mm -hmm. They're literally writing checks. And if the human behavior and how we work, like when the needs of elite come up against the needs of the rest of the population, this isn't a hating on billionaires. This is a hating on wolves. Like these guys... Jeff Bezos, which I've ranted about for years, but I can't tell you how many people told me on Sunday they didn't know Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post. Really? I thought everybody knew that. Yeah, I mean, I, be, I, you know, because you and I, we just, I don't know, we just like shout into a hole sometimes, but. Yeah, and we're kind of, we're nerdy nerds, in that way. Yeah, it is. Just call it, it what it, it is. did us no good in high school, but hopefully it's doing us some good now. <laughs> but, you know, the guy that owns the Washington Post that is trumpeting horrible panic porn headlines also is the guy that gets us our stuff Yeah, in Amazon. Stay home, save lives. And you can order your toilet paper from me and we'll just deliver it to you. The laptop class was doing great, but there were millions and millions of people delivering the food. If it was really that dangerous, mm-hmm. right? And, and again, people, there were people who died. There were the people that I love that, that died. So I know that there were people that, that were affected. But we knew who they were. We knew the percentages of the chances. We knew the, who were the most at risk. And we still sent senior citizens out to work in these things. We put masks on them and said, you can go deliver for Amazon. And that's how you can stay alive if you're, if you're, if you're poor. You know, we, they were literally disrupting lives for dishonest gain. He, Jeff Bezos and his ex-wife, Mackenzie Scott, $86 billion for Bezos, his ex-wife, $25 billion. So that's combined $110 billion that their wealth went up in just since the pandemic. Just that alone. It's, 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 it's utter madness. They're, those are wolves. And the reason we, the reason we talk about it is that when we hear narratives like this coming from, you've got to consider the source. So if you're hearing it from a news outlet right now, know that you can decide whether you think it's true or not, but know that it was paid for by a big pharmaceutical company. If you are ordering from Amazon, I order from Amazon all the time. I ordered some headlights for my car last night on it. But understand that if I'm whatever narrative that they're pushing at me on their Amazon Prime, that it is a narrative that is created by by large donors or large funded billionaires behind the scenes that have a that have an agenda for a world that they want to see that looks nothing like the world that Jesus wants. And one of those agendas that is uh, happening behind the scenes right now, kind of the next iteration of this. I don't know if you've read about the World Health Organization pandemic treaty that's in the mix. No. So the pandemic treaty is being proposed last week and they um, powers that be from across the world, whether it's nation states, um, corporations, etc., are putting together the a pandemic treaty, a worldwide pandemic treaty that would give some sort of global regulation for the next pandemic and how it's and how it functions. In the in for the U.S., the treaty would require um, us to share our medical resources. Uh, with other countries um, across the board. So basically they want to bring equity to the world. Um, And uh, it would, it would allow what it would do. It would allow the world health organization, the who it would give them global authority to dictate our 
response, any country's response. Um, Those jokers at the World Health Organization are going to decide? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Now, so here's – there's a thousand things that can go wrong with this, right? So (laughs) At least. So right now it is – it's called – these conversations are – it's a convention agreement, okay? So they're putting together the – the rough draft of what this agreement would include. And again, this is global. This would be every country would need to sign off on this thing or at least be a part of it. They're, they're, they're moving it from like a rough draft to like a, a first iteration to, for it to be called the pandemic accord. Okay. So the wording is important here because an accord is something that does bind countries to follow. Like you have to follow an accord. If, it, if you are a part of that accord, you are bound to that. So right now, uh, it happened today, this morning, the, um, the House Freedom Caucus sent a bill to get this moved from an accord to a treaty. So moving it to the, to the verbiage of a pandemic treaty then requires the Senate to vote on this on whether or not we would be a part. We require the Senate to vote. Ah, interesting. And there's no way in the world that it would pass the Senate, which means it would be voted down. Right. There is a ton of political jockeying happening right now around this. The There are three main primary players involved in this uh, in this accord, one guy I can't remember his name, <laughs> and I don't remember who he is. I think he's I think he's a virologist, but I don't know where he's from, and I can't remember. But the other two, of course, is the Gates Foundation with a two hundred and fifty million dollar investment into this, and China, uh, Xi Jinping. So there's three heads that are leading the charge on this. <laughs> Of which is one of the wolves that oh you called gosh. out on Sunday. Um, yeah, I mean, that's so, you know, Bill Gates was, uh, you know, he, he's been at the forefront of calling the world, you know, for us to shut down and then, you know, vaccinate the world. Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation invests into Pfizer and a few other health. Including the WHO, with their largest donor. Their yeah. second largest donor of the WHO well, is the Gates Foundation. Well, well so yeah, so you, you, that's the thing. So on the one hand, you've got the donations. On the other hand is the inve- investing. Okay, so this means it's tax-free investing. That's right. And so he, in the fall, is still trumpeting getting vaccinated, mRNA. It's the only way to the future. Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation dumps all of their Pfizer stock, all of it, sells it. 10x profit, $250 million profit, and then starts talking about the vaccines don't work as well as we thought they did. I mean, of course, he's still selling them, but he's being honest about them, finally, that, you know, they don't. Yeah. In fact, what he's saying is, we, you know, we need more of them because, you, you know, everything we already know, like this, none of this is brand new information, but he waited until he sold the stock, made his $250 million for the foundation tax-free before, and then he, yeah, uses that money then to influence the who. So, a guy that's not a virologist, a guy that's not an epidemiologist, the guy that can't even make a freaking software that we want to use. I mean, all, no offense to my uh, my Microsoft friends, but but it's a crappy software. It's never been great. That's the guy that wants to control the world. The guy that you know he truly does. And and one of the things that would happen if this if this treaty slash accord moves forward, and they're the I'm still studying and reading through this. 
I think they want it to be implemented and in place um, May of 24, but there's talk of uh, um, expediting that sooner. Basically, what would happen is if the WHO declares that there is a pandemic, that there's a worldwide pandemic, and they alone can make that call, countries then have 48 hours, 48 hours to give a go, no go on a lockdown to comply with the accord. So the the accord in a pandemic, part of the is not just vaccine sharing with, with developing nations. It is lockdown. It's lockdown policy, vaccination policy, and the global health passport, which they would initiate immediately across the globe. Um, and guess guess who's involved in the technology of that? Our friends, the Gates Foundation, in their tech. So. I mean, it continues. There's so much happening behind the scenes. And again, you can look all this up. So those that maybe take notes and and fact check us later or really, truly want to learn more about what's happening, for sure, um, search and read about the WHO pandemic treaty. Um, go search, read about global health passport. Um, Dr. Tedros, T-E-D-R-O-S, he is the doctor the lead doctor for the who that will have governing authority to determine whether or not the globe is in a pandemic status and decide whether or not lockdowns are to be wow. green lighted. I mean, look, do you, th who falls for this if it happens again? Cause you and I won't, but y correct. Like we barely fell for it the first time, but they're going to at some point, <laughs> this is where the rubber hits the road. At some point, everything will go through a digital passport. And so <laughs> we won't be able to travel. So they, what the main thing they want to do with the global health passport app is that it shuts, it shuts down travel for those that aren't participating. So that would be the first layer, right? Wow. So if we didn't get vaccinated, if we didn't follow whatever protocols that are required per the app, they scan it. You can't get on this plane. You can't travel from state to state, whatever it is. So you'd start losing freedoms. It's interesting that, and I've actually thought about this as I've traveled in the past, because like when I show my yellow card to get into Uganda, the, the people that are checking it, they're, they're, they're literate. You know, these are not dumb people. But they, they literally, there's no, they're not looking at it. They just look at it, and, and, it's, and it's a handwritten, one of the most easily falsifiable documents sure. yeah. on, on the planet, right? Yeah. And, you know, may, I don't know, hypothetically speaking, there may be people that I do or do not know or might be personally that have fake vax cards for COVID. And they, they, they just glance at it. So if, it's at best an ineffective system. If they're going to lock down the world on this, they're going to need a digital platform to do it. Oh, oh yeah, and, and it, no doubt we're in, a, in its infancy, but the emergence of AI tech is going to speed that back up. Yeah, in a heartbeat. There's a ton of challenges to all of this. The fact of the matter is, the 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 system, the infrastructure, has been built or is being built and was started three years ago. Yeah, and they're building upon that. You know, Canada, our Canadian friends can speak to this. This yeah. is, they're all the way down. I mean, they're, they're probably 
they're at least 12 to 24 months ahead of us in implementing these policies and already enforcing them where you can and can't go, what you can and can't do, where you can and can't gather, et cetera, et cetera. Um, all the way to, you know, our Ugandan friends yeah. who may not be as technically proficient, but are following guidelines from whether whether it's U.S., China, China. China is the one they're following. Or, you know, or England. Yeah. And that's the thing. If you're, if the who, one of the things that you know they're going to sell first is the technology, not just for the vaccine, but the technology for, because the, the, the Ugandans would love to have a better system. They just can't afford it. But if someone's writing checks for them, which China is, they will 100% uh, implement that. And that, you know, look, the wisest serpents think like that's when it goes back to like why the good shepherd is Jesus and wisest serpents. Uh, part of our job as a shepherd is to look ahead to that's see right. what's coming to, you know, be a watcher on the wall, if you will. And to, and to be prepared for that, you know, because, like, you know, go back, like I said to Shannon, like for the most part, like if you if you're if you're frustrated with your friends, I don't know if this helps or not, because I used to get really frustrated. How, how, do you, how could you not know this? The truth is, is if all of us, if everybody in our lives were spending all of our time talking about this, it would be exhausting oh. and miserable and the world would be a terrible place. Yes. Which is why I think the men of Issachar, like First Chronicles. Uh, understood the times they lived in and they knew what to do. They were by far the smallest tribe of Israel. By far. Like by orders of magnitude small. We don't need to get angry at our friends that don't know or don't get it. I don't think there's, I think it's not time. It's our, our there's a job for the, for us and the job for them. And in, That's right. in a good times, especially when things seem like they're going great, guys like you and I, like we're not a high commodity. Like people aren't like, you know, seeking us out. And understandably, but when times get weird, there are, voices that need to, to and, and, and will rise to the top. And so it's our job. Not that you're not, like you said, go check it out. Do your research. Make sure what we're saying is true. But that's what God has called us to do. That's part of this deeper thing. Yeah, one of the, one of the things I we can end on this too is that I've said before and, and something I try to live by is to have one eye in the microscope and one eye in the telescope. Yeah, that's good. It, it can be really dizzying if you do that, right? But at the same time, it creates a balance. So what I mean by that is one eye in the telescope is, all right, let's 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 see the big picture here of what's going on. Try to make sense of it, you know, observe, be aware, collect data points, and, and then do your research, right? But you can't be just staring at that all the time. Your other eye, you mm -hmm. know, keep in the microscope. What I mean by that is like zoom into like what's right in front of you. And that is probably your spouse, your children, mm -hmm. your community, your church. Um, and and be present there. Yeah. You know, especially for your children, um, especially for your, your, your household. Like zoom into that and, and invest your time and energy and in heart space and head space there. Um, th those aren't mutually exclusive, right? right? Like we right. don't, you, 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 you don't have to pick one. You can do both. Um, but if you're going to default to any of them, yeah, I mean, live, <laughs> live present with your family. Right. Right. Totally agree. Because that's, Jesus didn't say in, as far as the wolves in Luke 10, I am sending you to hide out. I'm sending you to be depressed I'm sending you out to the mountains to, you know, to hide in the caves. He said, I'm sending you out as a, a lambs among wolves. Like we are not supposed to pull back. 
We're not supposed to retract. We're not supposed to hide. We're supposed to go out. And the reason you can go out as a lamb among wolves is that we have a good shepherd that goes ahead of us. Yeah, that's good. That's right. And so, true. you know, we will never shut this church down again, ever. Like, I joke, it's like that Charlton Heston. It'll be like the keys, they'll have to pull them from my cold, dead hands. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, that's why I say it, it'll be harder. It's in the same way it'll be harder for a terrorist right now to hijack a plane in the United States because the, the rules have changed. We know better now. We don't let them into the cockpit. We will beat them down. Like, we'll go down. With it, but so the rules have changed. We know now. Okay, that's not you know. The next time you say lockdown, I, I, look clearly. There seems there's a population that's going to do it, but we won't. And and I know way too many people that won't either. Like that will will be uh, fine in that because Jesus is going ahead of us, and we yeah. know. And I, I know this man. Like when I think of pastoring pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. <laughs> I do sort of miss the blissful ignorance. <laughs> yeah. But don't you feel invigorated? Like, I feel invigorated yeah. in this. Well, it's, it's, it's a, man, we're living in unprecedented times. Like, there's just a lot happening, right? There's, there's Aslan is on the move, yeah. as we say. Like, the, there's things globally that right? are coming into play. Stuff happening. And some of it is, I guess, I feel too, like, all that stuff we thought was happening, and I had the sense it didn't seem quite right, and... Oh, it's happening. Oh, it's because it's actually happening. That's why it didn't <laughs> feel right. Now, and for me, I don't know, information always feels like safety to me. So now I, now I know. Okay, that's why I felt weird. That's why, mm -hmm. it feels, that's why it feels strange that Bill Gates is doing that. He's making a crap ton of money on it. Mm -hmm. Like, that's why it feels weird that he's trying to save the world because he's not. He's trying to save him. Like, okay, now we get it. Now we know the rules. Now we know we're the wisest serpent's part. And now yeah. we get to go out and be full of the Holy Spirit and do yeah. something about it. Well, we covered a lot. Today and on Sunday, I mean, we, we've we've been diving in deep. That's why it's called the Deeper Podcast. And maybe you're new to the Deeper Podcast. Thank you for for tuning in with us. Thank you for for listening. And uh, if you missed this week's teaching, um, obviously you can go back and listen to that. We would love to have you join us on a Sunday. Um, ConduitChurch.com. It's all the information there. You can you can check us out in person. You can watch us on the live stream, 11 a.m. each Sunday on our YouTube channel, and. Uh, yeah, we're we're really excited. This week we are going to wrap up chapter ten. Yes. Uh, yeah, with That's a little bit of luck. <laughs> sure. We're, as we continue the Believe series, and then also looking ahead, Easter Sunday is coming for those um, that are part of our Conduit Church family. Easter Sunday is coming, where we celebrate our risen Savior, our risen Shepherd. Um, it's on the 9th of April this year. Five services, plenty of options. Again, check out our website and get registered and RSVP for that. Until then, we'll see you next time. <laughs>